my back and relax and let me touch you where you shouldn't be touched. I'm gonna kick it. Okay. Yeah. And then sorry, like I, I was in the beginning and then I got sidetracked. No, is is it is it is it Veek? Is that how you pronounce? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And the Sean, question that everyone always asks. <laughs> I've I've literally Yo, always said from? I've always said Veek. And then someone recently Vic? said Vic, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, I don't think that's right." But I'm no, no, it is. Everyone I'm else wrong. is trying is trying to get all Euro on it and shit. <laughs> uh, someone we someone we know, a mutual a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, uh, she's great. You know, I, says, I, I, says Vic. Uh, so. I really a, such a cool few years when like it was just like we were all over the planet. It felt like just doing shit and like uh, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time with her at the end of the original Refuse run when Ink and Dagger was on tour with them in Europe. And I was over playing with those guys for a while too. And she, and yeah. But um, the zines she used to write, they would just be like accounts of her life. And you'd get them and you'd be like, oh shit, am I going to be in it? You know, it felt like that. <laughs> like the Thursday book. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, that book is something else. Yeah. So yeah, we're here today. It's, uh, Jason couldn't make it. He's on a vacation. Which one is Jason? Jason is not here today. Right, but tell me about him. Jason? Oh, he's yeah. oh, he's man. a great dude. He's the graphic. He does all our graphics. Uh, yeah, okay. He sings for a band called Cloak Dagger. Had a couple records on Jade Tree. Uh, a band called Did Counting Jade Out. Currently put out records. No, not anymore. No, no, no okay. Just, just archive stuff. Um, Nothing from yeah, Delaware last anyway. He was, yeah, except being the first state. Um, yeah. He he was bummed he couldn't be on here for sure. Um, but yeah, we have Veek, we who did Simba Records, right? Yep. Yeah, totally. Uh, Don, of course, from from Ink and Dagger, uh, and then Sean, who actually Sean is the one. God, years ago when we first, because you know Sean, now it's been like. I've known you like three years now because we this pod's old. And he was like, <laughs> when you do the ink and dagger seven inch, I want to be on. And I was like, what ink and dagger seven inch? Because, you know, Javier has a list of the discography that you can get by checking out our website, where it went podcast.com, sign up to email and he put together a discography that I guess we'll have to probably update eventually. Hav, with it's some got of the a, a couple holes in it. Newer um, stuff, but. I did remember this seven inch. It doesn't have a rev catalog number, but it has the star on the back. So that was good enough for us to have any yeah. excuse <laughs> There's a to story talk about behind, There's a story behind that too. Yeah, yeah. So, cause again, me being from Philly, 
Yeah. Someone's going to say he's not from, okay, I'm from the suburbs of Philly, but for all intents and purposes, Philly sorry, was my which home one? base. Which one? Uh, I was in, ha- I grew up in Hatboro. Hatboro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I went to the same school as Derek and oh, cool. uh, Mike and Eric, all from Frail. But they yeah, were all. I was around that high school all the fucking time. Yeah, they they graduated. Everyone but Derek graduated before I started. Derek was a senior when I was a mm-hmm. a freshman. But um, you know, huge band for me and for everybody in the city. So to be able to combine Rev and Ink and Dagger. We were yeah, like, I mean, it was. Uh, Sean, they had a press just about about doing an album, and. Uh, it was we didn't even then we were like it was not the right fit believe it believe it or not but we were like fucking i do want to put out seven inch the fucking the label that put out does it disengage seven inch fuck and uh we wanted to make sure we put a drum and bass remix on the rev album (laughs) which was like really the us like totally fucking with everybody uh the first thing we thought of when it was like uh you know jordan like drove us to the airport we might miss it and we were like Maybe they could re-release the Simba Seven Inch, not even categorize it. Put a rev thing on it because we did. It was stoked to have like a rev thing, but have a fucking drummer and bass mix on it, and then this like drop a weirdo. Uh, yeah, it was cool as hell. So you were supposed to do uh, like a a new record, or they they, they talked to you about no, it? He, I think he was he expressed interest in maybe helping us make that happen, but uh, you know uh, that wasn't that wouldn't have been the right. Th- fit for us anyway so Vic, were you working at rev at that point um it's a little hazy i can i finally see you hi hi it's a little hazy because it's 25 years ago um but i put out the ink and dagger seven inch in the spring late spring early summer do you remember what month that european tour was done it was hot yeah, that's not, that's not, I think it was June. I'm yeah. going to June. Yeah. Um, so the seven inch came out just before then. And then I moved to America in the September and started working at Rev. So I think the seven inch was already out of print by the August, but I don't remember exactly when it got decided that it was going to be reissued on Rev. Could have been August, could have been September, could have been October, but it, came back out again by the end of that year um i think i pressed a thousand maybe and we sold a shit ton of them on tour so Vic, what was your first exposure to ink and dagger did you did you have i guess the seven because had they played or was the tour your first exposure do you remember my first exposure was being friends with don who i met through robbie red cheeks and staying at that house in what was that house called don 314 yes yeah yeah, we're staying yeah. there. Um, I think I even met, I think I met Robbie at the, I mean, this is all kind of fresh in my mind because I've just been at Indecision 30 for three days, but I think I met uh-huh. Robbie Redcheeks at the Undertow Unbroken show um, in Bordentown, New Jersey in the yeah, summer of 93. No, the summer of, sorry, the summer of 97. And then... I stayed with Don later in the other house because I remember it was January of 98 and I remember going to Kinko's with Sean to do the layout. And I can definitely remember it was January because I was with 
the two of you when my grandma died. So that's just, oh, you know, what, yeah. remember that? Sorry it was one of those dates. It was, I mean, it was just one of those dates that like, you know, stays in your mind because, you know, when you get news like that from your dad phoning from England, you know where you are. Oh, yeah. um, they, they, and they were both really sweet and supportive and I did not go home for the funeral. I stayed and hung out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think I saw Frey all that, sorry, I think I saw Ink and Dagger that week maybe because I remember seeing you once in Philly and I think it must have been around then Uh and that's when we started booking we started talking about you know like what were you doing in Philly then though had you you were just like cruising just traveling yeah yeah yeah. I mean totally yeah it's what I did back then I was we did well you famously you sent a lot of uh, physical mail to everybody but we exchanged quite a bit yeah we did we did um and uh, yeah, I think that you know it just seemed make seemed to make sense that we could make it work. You guys touring with Refused, and it was a, it was a pretty crazy tour, if uh, memory serves. Of uh, oh man, it was lots like of, uh, lots of be- fun. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was like uh, it was very authentic. I'll tell you that. Whatever was happening, it yeah. was a. Uh, uh, no, no one could take it one direction or the other. It was just like this full. So many funny. I, I have like insane amount of stories, like underbelly stories from that tour. Um, and uh, you were on the entire tour. Yeah. And always with us, and it was all like expected and uh, needed. Actually, you're probably taking care of like all kinds of shows. Um, yeah, I mean, technically, I was TM in the whole tour it's for you and Refused and. But uh, yeah, they exactly. they, technically what it was. Yeah, technically because their tour manager was useless, so I just alpha yeah. him all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, I I don't I honestly have no memory of um, when it got discussed of being reissued on Rev. I do remember that the the month that I moved to the states, it was around then, and I was just broke. I mean, you know, moving six thousand miles and you know, selling everything you own and moving to California for what I thought was going to be three years was a much more expensive endeavor than I had ever imagined. Um, and it was uh, it was just a matter of, well, I can't repress it and Rev Wano and there's lots more legs yeah. than a seven inch, so let's do it. And Sean and I definitely got a kick out of putting like drum and bass rhythms out on Rev. <laughs> That was like a major consideration for us. As someone who's, I I actually started going to hardcore shows in 1992. And in 92 and 93, I was also going to raves in oh, yeah, us too, Southern California. Sure. And then 95, 96, there was a, a club in Los Angeles that played. They had a, a like a house room and a drum and bass room. And we were all straight edge and going there and fucking dancing all night to to drum and bass i've been super into drum and bass since i was before i could drive and when i picked up this record because i already had the other inca dagger records mm-hmm. to hear a drum and bass remix with a band that i already loved it fucking blew my mind i didn't care if it was on a white <laughs> label anything it, it, I, I mean, I initially got this the the Simba version of this record too. Uh-huh. I actually don't think that I've owned the Rev version, just the Simba version. I I thought that the cover was nicer on the the Simba version. Oh, it is. And, yeah. and uh, 
but man, that was uh, super exciting to hear. Should we yeah. just talk about that now, or do you want to, Greg? Do you want to? Well, I mean, go through it. Yeah, like, yeah, go JD for it. And Diesel Boy, like the all these. Yeah, like, that, that was just like a crew. Like you know, Sean would go out like writing with them, and like uh, uh, any number of other things. Um, and uh, I mean, around that time, like Sean had the sickest hustle. One of the sickest hustles. I have thousands of Sean stories, but there was this rave outside of Philly in like '96, and it was it was a time when so many kids would show up that eventually they would just storm the gate. It was like expected. There'd be like five thousand kids outside, three thousand these giant rooms, like those OG huge first waves. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it was like Sean and I and like ten ten of our like crew, and we, <laughs> so we were selling water, but Sean had arranged it so we were up against this wall with a spigot behind the wall, and uh, we sold like ten thousand dollars worth of water waters and bought like three hundred dollars. We just opened the bottle. We had people just filling bottles the whole time, and then put in. Uh, that'd be a good example of uh, if that uh, the sort of uh, uh, the time, yeah. <laughs> and how did you? I mean, whose idea was it? Like, how did you have these friends? Uh, I mean, that was just JG like how, and Jay Smooth. I mean, when Ingendagger started. We're already well developed into our like uh, musical like, I mean, our first show we were like already like heavily obsessed with like shoegaze, Beverly Valentine, low skate skinny and shit. And uh, Sean really always led all of that. Um, so the weird, you know, uh, it was very natural. So in Philly, I don't know, it was very like a the genres didn't cut so hard. Like you kind of had to be good. I don't know. It was. Uh, I mean, Sean. You know, always had this apex twin tattoo. We're always just very much into like what was happening, uh, regardless of Ingendagger, uh, in the rest of the world, you know, uh, especially around them. Um, so it was just natural. That was like our dudes, and it was like we literally like thought it was, uh, you know, uh, the Simba record is like the seven inch, right? So, uh, I can't emphasize enough how much. We are uh, like in a uh, sort of a Dead Kennedys kind of way, putting this drum and bass thing on Revelation. It was a subversive act for you. It was like, but I, but it's still fucking awesome. Like it's sick, but like <laughs> that. We like every time it came out, that's what we love about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you had. I mean, there's two two Ink and Dagger songs. Oh yeah, and then yeah, and then one of the songs is a remix. So tell us about recording those two songs. Like, were they specifically going to be on this seven inch? Uh, before. Yeah, who was the lineup? Who was the lineup on that? If you remember. Yeah, that's um. Uh, I believe that is uh Josh on bass. You got to figure like there was a bunch of bass players uh, off the bat, but then Josh for a majority of it. Um sort of uh but i guess that that's terry playing terry you playing drums i believe josh uh so on on discogs there might be an era says, where there wasn't another guitar yeah i'm on, not sure on discogs it says ashley played on this recording oh shit. uh ryan yeah, ryan McCoughlin, don sean and jorge 
Okay, so it was like the so, end of that first cycle. Uh, yeah, that does make sense to me. Also, yeah, totally. I would like to point out that I corrected the year that it came out <laughs> Discogs this morning because it was wrong. Wow. Oh, really? <laughs> what did Discog say before? Said 97. Uh -huh. Oh, right. I sat there doing the layout with Sean at Kinko's the first week of January 98. It couldn't have been. And yeah, we still have like, Vic, did we still have like $100,000 worth of Kinko's money or something? <laughs> yeah. Remember those cards? I do. Yeah. John had one in his bedroom. He would bust out hundreds of grand, you know, and sell them over Drexel and shit. It's funny that you mentioned you changed it because when I looked, I was like, I think it was 98 as well. Because I remember it was like either right, it came out like right around the time of the Fine Art of Original Sin album. Mm -hmm. Um, because that was when I finally got to see Ink and Dagger was that um initial records magic weekend or whatever. <laughs> what a goofy thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the Kindles, which uh you know our our friend yeah. and patron totally. Tommy uh played with. And yeah, Ricky I remember the, the seven inch was like that summer or something. Came yeah, the, yeah. The back of the seven inch says it was recorded in October of ninety seven and remixed in December of ninety seven. So it had to have come out in ninety eight. Yeah. Yep. So now we know who was on. So that's the same lineup that was on the um, drive the seven inch stake. Uh -huh. No, right? uh, Eric Weirheim was playing bass on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wonder what he's up to. I never. <laughs> yeah, I lost track of that dude. Some someone check. Um, <clears throat> so I did want to talk about like you were talking about your um Don, like you that you guys had all these other influences. Cause I always wondered as a guitar player, like mm. around this time, like what what were your like touchstones? Cause I hear a lot of like the stuff I love, like the DC stuff. Uh, like, yeah, I the mean melody I, and you know, uh I have a soul, I have the soul side tattoo, you know what I'm saying? Uh yeah, I like early on, you know, just like uh, that, that like fast wrist, no low macho, high smarts. You know, I was really influenced by like Mike Kirsch and Jason Farrell growing up, uh, especially in like my like uh, the frail type years. Uh, um, but then really, like, uh, I got, you know, um, you know, the first show, Ink and Dagger show in in this apartment in Philly, uh, you know, uh, if you heard, like, the music we were listening to, like, pretty much none of it would have been, like, hardcore, you know. Uh, we totally ran in that world. I was psyched to go see Born Again. I was fucking, it was, like, sick if fucking any of Walter's bands were playing. Uh, you know, like, uh, but, uh, and fully operated it in that sort of community. And uh, what Sean was like, this, you know, but we're already vastly like Spaceman 3, like just venturing out, uh, you know, as fast as we could. It was, everything was very exciting, you know, just, uh, you know, just, uh, a lot of electronic stuff. And the way that like culture was having like, uh, you know, that explosion of stuff and how it related, uh, you know, so it was really like very, very, it started off like definitely DC, San Diego. Uh, that dude Mike curse is ruled though. His like, um, or, uh, yeah, and um, I mean, playing nonstop, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, uh, 
the you know the last thing of dagger record is like if i sat there and like went through it with you the ridiculousness of some of the feats that were uh sort of gone through to do some of them is like hilarious but um was that the self-titled the one on buddy Head? yeah yeah okay yeah i remember i think when it's that... fair to say sorry to interrupt i think it's no. fair to say that um as one of the things that we bonded on was british music because oh, the, yeah. you didn't any people within the hardcore scene that you could talk to about Spaceman 3 or all of the, yeah, the totally, and right. all of that stuff that I grew up on. And there was also an, you know, a small element of, you know, people, you know, a lot of, a lot of hardcore kids were a little bit Anglophile and mm. being on a British label and, you know, it being made a, you know, cut in a, a London recording studio and, you know, all of that stuff. I think, think everyone was already always very excited about because it's, it's more, you know, it's, it's cooler than putting out a seven inch on another, you know, Philly based label because there was that Anglophile aspect to it that, that we bonded over all of those brilliant bands. I mean, at the I time, if you were like, now. we would have done anything you wanted to do at that time. There's so much like spirit. And, and, you know, if you're like, we're putting out a double album, you gotta write the songs. I'd probably be like, fuck, <laughs> I gotta do this. You know, like, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think you're right, though, like, like, you know, just as someone who is a little bit older as well, it's like, you know, I think it's easy to forget that in 97, 98, you know, the world wasn't quite as small as it is now in the sense that we didn't have, I mean, you know, the internet was very brand new, the, like, you know, Don said, you know, Vic, you were sending mail to people, like physical mail to people, you know, it's like, even like the zine thing, right? Like, that was um you know it was a was a physical uh, product you know and so it's like yeah, just the idea yeah. that like you know that, that it I, I think nowadays it's like a band comes out with a song anywhere in the world and puts it on Bandcamp and you can hear it the next day and it's like it, there's this kind of immediacy that just didn't exist in the same way and so like I remember meeting European hardcore kids in the 90s and early 2000s and it being like tell us about the planet you're from <laughs> you know it's just mm. such a different <laughs> yeah. world you know yeah so. no absolutely and and even just also i think the the outside in the outside musical influences like back then like now i feel like we and we've, javier and i have talked about this like i feel like now kids in hardcore they like all kinds of stuff right like right. there's no there's really no boundaries on anything yeah. it's like they'll it be wasn't nearly like, as delineated then it was like a Right. Like there was yeah. like you were allowed to like like the Smiths as far as not stuff that wasn't hardcore. And like that was pretty much it. I feel like everything else. I mean, was... and especially in lieu of the, you know, Philadelphia Society of Future Vampires, like code, which was like, for, for the love of God, like do whatever the fuck you want. You know, uh, the whole the whole thing, uh, you know, uh expressing yourself and like uh exploring and uh, uh like literally zero regret zero like all that was you know the code uh so it was well, uh, i remember you know, yeah. i remember when i mean i first time i saw lincoln dagger was i was trying to look up the date um the second time was a tour in november i found the date for that one but um uh the first one was at 403 Chaos in Tampa. Oh my God, and... we're, we're, did, were we like 10 hours late? Well, you were late. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I feel like you guys showed up. I feel like you guys showed up at midnight on purpose. Um, 
uh, like that was kind of the vibe we got. And yeah, I, I mean, me and a bunch of my friends, it's the we real all time. Our faces, no and way. we had our faces painted. You guys had your faces painted still. And I mean, so it would have been '97. At, you know, I was I was still in high school and drove from. I lived like two hours south of there, so I drove up for the show. And um, I remember we all like brought fake blood, and we were like spitting fake blood everywhere and stuff. And you know, it's just. But but that I remember at the time that was so subversive. Like I think now it kind of feels like a fun shtick, mm. but I I remember feeling like at the time that like people were like, "What this band fucking paints their face like." get the fuck out of here. You know, like the fact that you existed in the hardcore space and we're doing those things, I think to your point, yeah. is like, not just I mean, music, it was literally awesome like a return to like dead candies and Sean, like fucking wanted to feel like, like fucking like he was in the sex puzzles or something else. Like, you know, it was like very, um, and, uh, it was crazy because, uh, you know, getting away with like having a show that's going to start. And then, like, say you have, like, 10 of your friends have the lights go off and you cover 250 people in blood, most of which are, like, only fucking so mad at you. They will kill you unless you time it right so that the energy of the show starts and then we're in control. So, like, if we did it early, we get, like, literally broken bones. But if we time it, like, we talk about stuff like that. Like, it was, like, how could you, like, you know, the sort of not, you know, not for the lack of like having something less convincing to do, but you know, uh, it, the shows were very like, uh, like, uh, sermon esque, and uh, you know, especially then, and it really was, you know, I still believe every like second of everything and could talk like that I ever did, uh, you know, uh, feel the same way as, uh, exhibit the same sort of energies and, uh, you know, uh, things that went through me and I learned through that whole era. But yeah, we wanted to be like fucking, you know, uh, there was no like show left, you know, it was just like very like, you know, you have these like posse bands or you have these like, you know, uh, everything was just very cookie cut, you know, again, now the, it seems like I don't know, you know, like, but like it really was like uh, a pain in the ass putting makeup on every night. Well, that's the other thing is I remember afterwards being in the bathroom at four oh, with Sean, with fucking and and we were all we were both like you know cleaning our faces off of this makeup, and I remember Sean looked at me and was like, "This is the worst part of it." Yeah, he would do you know, something like it, that. You know, because we were just both like sharing the sink, trying to get the shit off our face. You know, but I agree. Like, like it was sort of larger than life for somebody too that was very young and hadn't yeah. seen. You know, I didn't. It was like all the and the thing is, is I think by the time I saw you, I saw you guys, there was no. I, I it wasn't the makeup. Like I think you, you were in like church. Yeah, but we probably had like but heavy like, lights though. Yeah, and it was the mic. I remember the PA went out, and Sean just screamed at the top of his lungs. Uh, yeah. It was that you know packed show. That was my first show ever at the church. Um, it was ninety eight, and like 
so I, I don't think I got to see the makeup. So you were in like your lick it up years if you were kiss, right? <laughs> like, but yeah. it was we like, like exploring years. You know, it was a it was a lot to handle. Uh, Vic, do you remember that show in London, The Red Eye, where Dennis and Sean both destroyed their eyes and had to sit in the hospital together? Absolutely, absolutely. Just me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> where did the big and the yeah, red eye? Yes, it was a it was a crazy show because Sean got hurt first, and his eye nearly popped out <laughs> his head, and he had this like big blood, like like all of the whites of his eye went completely red and somebody took him to the emergency room and then refused went on and I think it was the third song and Dennis bent down at the same time as Chris went up and he hit him with his guitar right here I, I think felt that on the <laughs> temple and the blood just went gush and I ran up on the stage grabbed Dennis <laughs> and left the building with him and people were like you can't leave and I said yes I fucking can and I put him in the car and took him to the emergency room and everyone was and we went we ended up at the same emergency room at, and the at, club was called the red eye yeah yeah <laughs> we went because we, I went to university in London so we ended up at the at UCL hospital and and I remember both Sean and Dennis being like we don't have insurance we don't like yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, and, and it's still the same today. If you go to an emergency room yeah. in the UK, you get treated for free. doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. And Dennis had stitches and I had his blood on my shell toes for months. <laughs> Funny through the morning. I mean, there's still no chance Sean gave his name. So I wonder what name he gave. <laughs> yeah. Like, no he wouldn't have had to pay anyway. <laughs> I know, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was. But people, I remember that and just being like, whoa. People were so angry, and I'm like, I don't care. It's that was the only show on that tour where we did wear makeup. Because people yeah, don't know I, yeah. that we you would know, do it, it occasionally. It's funny because I had a really strong memory of, of when you were just talking about stopping wearing the makeup. The strong memory I have is the bloody eye with the makeup, and I'm sitting here thinking, then, right? he definitely wore makeup at least some of that tour because I remember yeah. it. And I thought I was going mad, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, we just busted out when it felt appropriate, which was next yeah. to never after a while. And that was a that was a full sold out show, and people were really mad that both both sets got <laughs> cut short. But yeah, that, that's just I don't know if our set got cut short. It should have, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think they he carried on playing and wouldn't leave. Oh yeah, yeah. he was loving everything. I just Alfred Dennis. Yeah. Swedish guys, man. Yeah, keep eye on them. I could just pick them up and throw them over my shoulder. So you know, <laughs> was that? I guess was that when when the shape of punk to come shape came out come around that time. Out, shape of punk came out Valentine's Day of in '98. Then we went to Ireland and played there, shows right? to like twelve people. It was so cool. Because they they, they played right. Philly. They played at um, Stalin Thirteen. Right was where yeah was that there. show was. Yeah. Didn't Kendall play saw them, that as well? No, no, we didn't. No, I saw them at the Hardback, um, which I also saw uh, in Kendall at. Um, and uh, is that place still there? No, I mean it's like a, uh, I think it, last time I was in Gainesville, which has been a while. It was, uh, um, it was like a burrito shop that one uh, of the guys from Gainesville really owned. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean that was and that was like the end of the era. Like they they stopped doing shows there at the end of 
I think it was like November of 98 or, or, or soon after you guys played there. But um, yeah, because I went to the night before in Valdosta, which was like some weird little record shop, then that one and then 403 the next night. But uh, um, yeah, I was going to say is like the the um, the shape of punk to come thing. It's funny because I remember I moved to Gainesville in the summer of 98 and all the like culture and Nash Friends Rust dudes were like, there's this band that like is put out this phenomenal record and it hadn't come out over here yet. And then they, they right. came and played and, and they, you know, did that tour with Frodus. And I think the show in Gainesville was like the third to last show of the, of the whole thing. Yeah. You know? And it was just like, I, 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 I actually got, up, I got knocked out at that show. <laughs> oh yeah. I set up yeah. the, I set up refused with Frodus for a European tour. And then that got re reciprocated in America before they ended up splitting up halfway through. But uh, yeah, it came out on Valentine's day in Europe on Burning Heart. And then I was staying with Jordan in um, March or the April and trying to convince him that Rev should put it out and he didn't want to. Which <laughs> was a big mistake, Coop. Um, Nick, you got me that shit like months before that shit came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. it got mixed and mastered in November. Yeah. David came and stayed with me for two months in October and November. So it was all done by then. Um, but yeah, when they were playing their shows, it wasn't out yet. Because I remember we had heard it. Yeah. Because those guys had toured in Europe and come back with it. And they had posters and all the yeah. shit. And they were like raving about it. And they had played Yeah, I remember shows hearing about it. But like, that so was it. Uh, like, they were, they were, they were, we were yeah. trying to figure out what label would release it in America. And in the middle of like the negotiations and trying to figure that out, Epitaph bought Burning Heart. 51% of Burning Heart. So that's why Epitaph ended up releasing it. Um, and I don't But it was know. like late 98, Eight. early 99 or yeah. something. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about that sounds about right though. Because yeah. that's probably around the time when I got a, a copy of it. And it's it's just funny because obviously it's one of those things that took on like a second life because afterwards. You know, in the years following that coming out, they became, it became this big thing. Yeah, I mean, it's well, I, think I was thinking about it when you were talking about how hardcore was so insular and and cookie cutter, and people, you know, hardcore kids didn't like other influences like like British shoegaze coming into their hardcore, mm. and that's a perfect example of a record where they were like, "What the fuck? Where's this? What's this jazz shit?" No, but that's and what drew us to it. Yeah, but then years later. Yeah. that's why you know, that's, well, why and that's an amazing record and i think that was one of the things that i was curious about as it relates to the seven inch and just like that idea of like a drum and bass song on rev is like you know i mean i think there was you guys were kindred spirits you know and, and i actually didn't realize you had toured together um or that this was even recorded as part of around the same time but it makes sense because like i think that's when know, there's we're still doing a cover of prodigy Fire starter as well so there was just like a lot of like things oh, yeah. on tour that didn't you know you wouldn't even know unless you were you saw them in europe at that time you know yeah yeah i agree with sean i mean i i always thought and especially looking back now like ink and dagger to me was ahead of the curve absolutely i think and did kind of predict where things went because you know you get a band like Thursday who ended up being, you know, on MTV and signing to, you know, Def Jam and all this, like, and they're saying, oh, we were influenced by Ink and Dagger, you know, like, 
I think it was. Well, I remember, I, re I have a vivid memory of being at that show at Valdosta on that second tour that I saw. And you guys mm -hmm. weren't doing the makeup yet. You were, and the lineup was like Trapia, Chris T, or T Rope or whatever, and um, doing lights. And, you know, it was like all that. And, and yeah. um, there was, you were, you were the only guitar player at that point. And I remember watching you play, Don, and just being like, this guy can play guitar. Like, at that point everybody i was watching play in bands were like punk kids right that kind of like were yeah. hacking away at guitars really you know and sort of you know it was it, there wasn't a lot of like nuance or and i remember being i have a very vivid visual memory of that show of just watching you play and just being like fuck this dude can play the guitar you know like there's a there's a level of like something happening here that is beyond what i'm seeing from other bands at the time you know and i and i remember one of the other things i remember really vividly from that show is i think it was the first time i ever saw somebody use an ab switch and i went to the show actually with some of the ads friends rusties and i remember them asking you about it and you talking about yeah. having it like on a little bit of a delay or something so that it but, kind yeah, of created this which I guitar from Bob mold it was like the husker do thing yeah like yeah just to separate them a little bit he said i developed that into a million zillion other things but uh yeah but that's, well, that's that scratches like, me right where i itch because I'm a Bob yeah. Mould, who's could do <laughs> super fan. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's in the. I think that little tidbit's in that this band could be your life book. Yeah, probably, probably is because he, yeah. he does some guitar wizardry type stuff. But yeah, I'm with Sean. Like I remember too, just being like, you know, are you guys familiar like, with the Mandela Strike Force seven inch? I was gonna. I was actually gonna bring that seven inch up because I remember either borrowing a copy or having a dubbed cassette. And being like, oh man, this is so fucking awesome. And that was before Ink and Dagger. Was that in between? Yeah, and it was like Sean would be with us all the time, like frail, and we would be, be running all over the eastern seaboard. And uh we just became really good friends. It was like uh started a band just to have Sean sing in it. Uh now that is uh that was probably a couple months after we did the on point demo, which is like one of my favorite things. I remember uh, that too. Uh, which is slayer, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's and uh, then, I was, uh, the thing. When I first got into Ink and Dagger, it was I bought. I remember buying the CD of the the initial collection of like the two seven inches on mm -hmm. CD at Alternative Records in Tampa, and I remember they had a sticker on it or something that said members of you know Guilt and Frail and all the bands, and I was like, oh, and Frail was a band that I really loved at the time. I still do, and I was like. Oh well, I'm if a member of Frail, I'm gonna buy this, you know. And then that, and but I remember listening to it. Yeah. I mean, the first song on that is just like, what? This is so fucking different and out there, you know. It just was so. I mean, it was just so like. I just remember thinking. I mean, it it, not to be you know overly uh, heaping praise upon you, but like if I felt the way I felt when I first heard Fugazi, where I was just like, what is this? Like, I have no reference point for what this is, and it's cool. I don't know what it is, but I love it, you know. And that and that was. That was how I felt when I heard, you know, whatever that I heard, I'm terrible song titles, but the first song on that drive seven. Um, the um, uh, uh, Road to Hell, not Changeling, yeah, Road to Hell, yeah, same, same thing. I and because I had always heard this buzz about Ink and Dag, oh, the guy you know, from Frail, they had this new band, and you know, again, at 96, I was 15, you know, I didn't mm. have access to the internet. You hear all this stuff, and then finally, because I didn't have a real a working record player really, so I got that CD um, that had you know, and it was like 
when you're a kid too, more bang for your buck, right? It's like, I get yeah. two, two records on one thing. Plus I think there was an extra song yeah. from the comp. A lot of people have mistaken that for a record actually, believe it or not. Like just think it's a full length. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely flows like one, but I, you know, we know it's the seven yeah. inches, but yeah. Same, and it's funny because I have a vivid memory of buying that to show where I was at. I bought that and the um, self-titled blur at the same time. So that that's that was where where I was at. So it fit, it fit in perfectly because even at sixteen, I was kind of like wanted to hear stuff a little outside the box. Yeah, that uh, the Mandela Strike for seven inches is like all like I first got all these rack effects and just like was learning them, coming off with them. It's really wild actually to listen to. Um, and then uh, because like. Ink and Dagger started as this sort of like return to basics in the very right hand, you know, uh, tradition of a lot of the heavier DC bands that, uh, you know, uh, also had a certain musicianship that was attracted to uh, and expanding on that, you know, uh, as much as possible. The expansion thing, like one day into another was like, it was never, it was always that, especially after like, you know, we kind of did the first seven inch, seven inch, you know, uh, it's sick, you know, and but it was like, oh, shit, we just started a band. Like our first show, like a couple hundred people at it. And so Sean and I just started pushing and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, from artwork and just like, I remember for the fine art cover, we found this guy called us bats. He was in Baltimore and it was like 11 o'clock in Philly and we're outside of Wawa and we're like, Let's first of all, let's call initial and we need like two thousand dollars for the front cover. He's just like, what the fuck are you guys talking? You gotta be kidding me. We just went to Baltimore that night and like found this dude. I swear, we just kind of found him. Uh through this place we used to play, you know, blah blah. Somehow, you know, the the amount of effort that went into just having that print on the front of the record without any bullshit on it. You know, on the sticker, not on the art. Uh, a lot of bands wind up doing that right after that as well um yeah i could get lost in the stories uh but uh what what the one what track you know the one track on excuse me well i was gonna say like i maybe we're about to say the same thing i was, I was gonna say like what's the because to me i listened to the seven inch today just to like you know prepare for this and i, I hadn't listened to it in a minute and like um the two questions i have was that that obviously the the you know philopsychosis like ends up on the album mm-hmm. but the 13th dream doesn't and, and yeah. I was just curious about like that. That Thirteenth Dream always sounded like like a uh, minor minor kid to me, or something like that, or like a Chris Thompson band with like heavier, more guitars. But uh, dropped a tuning. I remember that always bummed everyone out. Uh, and uh, kind of a pain in the ass to play, but cool song. I don't know. It was like this. Uh, Rock and roll, I wanted to be like the heaviest Zeppelin, not like, you know, uh, like Swizz anymore eventually, you know, uh, or the heaviest, uh, you know, uh, blissed out kind of feeling, you know, uh, or just like the Stooges. I don't know, just huge dynamics and not afraid to like literally be held into anything, like really just like, you know, the more kooky we could get, the more we'd be like proud of ourselves pushing it, you know, uh, yeah. 
I was already like same with the guys in Refuse. Then we're like deeply into like we'd be talking about like sitting around talking about like John Zorn and Coleman, you know, free jazz and uh, just really just pushing, learning, taking. What are we all going to be doing before long? And uh, I was with you at Tower in Philadelphia when I bought David the Ornette Coleman box set. I remember. And I bought you the Beach Boys one. Because I didn't know them that. I'm like, oh, right? Yeah. No. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, you're getting him that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, just the, just my memory. Just the Pet Sounds box set? Was it That's the dope. Pet Sounds box set that you bought? I've. Oh, I've got to. With the vocal tracks? Uh, probably that, if so. It seems to be around, it was probably around that time. I'm, no, yeah, yeah. I love that record. So yeah, it was like a box of like six album CDs uh, that I remember yeah. getting David and that. But I just it just totally uh, was it the Cobra method. I got it, like a, it was this method for improvised music, somehow recorded. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it did seem like Ink and Dagger was always like moving on to your next thing you know like you put out the seven inch but then you're already like well by then the time you're playing I, you know, shows you're playing new songs i remember you guys played exactly. at, uh drexel do you uh, remember like uh it was time? like well this would have been my freshman year it was 99 um and it was like burning brides played I oh think that was a, like that was like the last that show was ridiculous because josh and sean were killing me in this sound check i'm very particular about things on fucking KDU, I hear those guys wasted on air. Like they went down to the the radio station, somehow like manipulated them way onto air. And while like I was upstairs, like hadn't seen them for hours, and like sound check just went by and they were wasted. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember about that show. I remember Sean came out. <laughs> I've never I I I still remember it. And I talked about this recently with a friend. He goes, we're Ink and Dagger, and we're not playing any old stuff. And, like, a few people <laughs> yeah. left. And I thought, yeah. I remember it even then being like, dude, that is so rad. <laughs> like, just to be yeah. like, like, he just came out, no bullshit, was like, we're not playing any old stuff, you know? Like, I mean, it was, like, the self-expression wasn't dependent on, like, fulfilling, like, you know, what everyone, we were very much about that. Uh, it's what could keep it moving. Uh, so we could keep it like inspired, uh, you know, we booked our first, a lot of our first European tour, like off with a dialer off a cell phone in Philly, you know, uh, just like a Bivin dialer, like, nah, 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 nah. yeah, shout out and, to uh, Robbie Redcheeks for that one too. Yeah. And yeah. Scott yeah. Bivin Bloodlink, yeah, right? Sure. Bloodlink Records. But it'd be like, please insert like 1375. Yeah. <laughs> like, hi, uh, this is Brussels, you know, um. But uh, you know, there was a there was a bunch of shows where we just played. You know, it was four or five in Switzerland around where, uh, or uh, with typo. We you know we we're typo negative on Halloween at the truck we traded. Uh, I was gonna ask about that. Well, and this happened a few other times. So like mad skinheads at the time, a lot of like, and we had there was like. Sean would rather like be murdered than to like back down to some like racist or homophobe or like I'm not even kidding. You, you could have just uh, ended the sentence on back down. Yeah. yeah. Fair, yeah. fair to say. <laughs> and uh they were all sitting down. So not like we didn't in 
Switzerland a couple years later and whatnot, Chong and I would look at it and be like, fuck that, we're not playing our songs for them. We just did like a noise. Uh, it's not like, just like not playing, the, you know. There's a couple of times that happened where there was like outrageous crowds uh, that uh, were so embarrassing that like we weren't going to play our songs. So You played with the Misfits the... too, right? Yeah, that was fun. It's just goofy. Yeah. Yeah. But did they take uh, to you a little better than uh, typo negative fans? Well, the typo there was like a bunch of fucking racist slime balls. Like I like it was embarrassing. I don't I don't need to like win them over, you know. Right. Yeah, not interested. So, but like you know, it seemed like, you know, I don't know. We did a lot of shit like that. I mean, we toured with like L Seven. That was cool. Uh, you know, the 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 more outside the box we could get. It was like more exciting to us for for a lot of that um you know uh 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 man we had really great shows in california though i must say javier uh, did you see them out there yeah uh i saw inca dagger twice out here in california once at coos cafe with the broke the window out yep and there was a lot of vampires in the crowd that night uh, and then uh at showcase showcase we had a couple of good ones showcase um sans makeup for that uh -huh. one i think still maybe everyone wearing all black but no makeup i don't was that with frodus too um we played there a few times do you remember the showcase show no or I the, uh, yeah the shea was with like locusts though mm -hmm. and uh yeah there was a giant like window I have a crazy picture, but the, uh, this is of that very show, but uh, the bay window behind the drums, and it that was like Cruise real Cafe, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember Sean saying, like, when we walked in there, he's like, "Oh, the window's going." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, it's 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 second. it's interesting you mentioned the locust because, like, I'm just thinking about it, and it's like, you know, it like. You know, like we're talking about with Refused, I mean, and it sounds like you guys were pretty intertwined in a way, but like that at the time that people were just like, we don't know what to do with this, you know, and and it's it's interesting because like in my mind, those things are so like there's a lot of space, but like they're so just right on top of each other actually in time. But like the locust is what, you know, a year later, yeah, I mean, and nine maybe. Uh, and then and Locust first Locust first. Split five inch with Jenny Piccolo, the first music they put out came out in February of 97 when I drove them on a month long European tour. Mm, good Lord. So that was that was like 18 months before the Ink and Dagger tour. Um, but just like thinking about the fact that they. they yeah, no one knew what to do with that. No one knew. And, and no one, no one absolutely knew what to do with that, you know? And so, and I mean, there's a lot of bands at that time where it's like, it just seems like in my mind, and again, this is just maybe my own experience of it, but like, that there was this kind of for, first wave of bands that are really pushing the boundaries and then all these bands that kind of followed suit that either or were maybe like if locust was around since 97 maybe around at the same time but just outlasted it or like just like yeah. endured the like you know people Absolutely. not really understanding it and then became something much bigger and it's like i think that was the thing for me as an ink and dagger fan that always was so heartbreaking was that like it just felt like you guys were maybe two years ahead of your time at every turn you know and that like i mean you know just we were very never fortunate caught in that way 
very fortunate to be able to like run around the world a couple times, go and like play all over. Like, you know, I feel like we were right on time. And it, it, it the idea of what it means to have, I, I couldn't, you know, I have this insane collection of Ink and Dagger lawsuits, memorabilia. I have a actually a pretty exciting project with the. I've been waiting many years on uh, to do it right. We'll probably be announcing pretty soon. Uh, but uh, uh, there was never. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, ref- tell me your question again. I apologize. He was just I saying you guys were, were were ahead of your ahead of the curve. Oh, oh like, of course, of course. At, at I every mean, turn, we felt behind. You know, I felt like behind Kevin Shields. You know, or I felt like you know we were just racing. You know, and being as creative as possible. You know. Even with the frail, starting with frail, like we were like legitimately trying to break down this barrier between like what it is to be an audience, what it is to be a musician, what it is to have like this experience. And even in that sort of juvenile hue of now, it like Ink and Dagger really was like, and Sean was always with us, and it really was like the, the, the like jumping out of the box of that. It's, I mean, at the very end of Frail, we were like good, actually, if I recall. We had like that firecracker song we would nail. Uh, and it was like really, uh, you know, that time when like the math is just multiplying and like understanding new things. And I'm uh, always trying to, you know, uh, basically like the, the creativityness of doing something novel was like the punkest uh, sort of ideal. Yeah, I thought the last frail that new harmony seven inch right, was right. great. You know, like and it was definitely a step up from everything else. So and it really it is, if you think if you listen to it now, which I and many others wish we could get this stuff on streaming or on <laughs> maybe on a 12 inch, like get everything in one place, but I digress. Um, it was was definitely like a precursor to ink and dagger and you got that yeah. Mandela strike force stuff kind of you know bridging you know to use like an analogy it's almost like if, if frail was minor threat then Mandela was like embrace and then ink and dagger was your fugazi you know like <laughs> kind of fully realizing that um yeah I mean creative term. I loved like Sergius Lubus when I was like 14 you know or like I I you know the punk reveal of something like the dead candies was the same as like nation viewers you know uh we were really you know and we took the philadelphia society of future vampires very seriously i mean i still do in a lot of ways uh you know it was a free thinking society in in a place where you had like earth crisis and like all this like hardline stuff and all this like daddy's like uh fucking what dream kids that like and all the religious things coming into it it was all like a, a, a serious reaction to the 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 uh, lack of excitement and novel thing. Like to do something purely novel is my idea of the punkest thing. To do something creatively novel is like, you know, is when I think of Ornette Coleman, you know, like, or when I think of something, you know, Sun Ra. I you know it's, uh, you know, when I think of the, uh, I think of Start Today that way. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's not genre bound. It's just like you got to push. 
you know, free think. And um, I think all those things are, I mean, start today or, or Ernest Coleman or whatever. I mean, it's all stuff that there's never, there's never been anybody to be able to do it again. You know, I think that's the thing is like, I mean, that's the thing about Fugazi. Like nobody sounds like Fugazi. Nobody yeah. sounds like start today. I mean, as much as anybody has tried, nobody sounds Fugazi like Fugazi was my first right? show at Drexel. Oh, that's sick. <laughs> that was my first show too, but not at Drexel. Yo, I went to that show and I was with Sean somehow. I was like 14, 13, I don't know. Uh, and he kicked me in the ball so hard that I fell over and all like the actual like uh, EMTs had to come over with a stretcher and like take me away thinking I was on drugs, but I just couldn't. <laughs> and for some, somehow that was like acceptable. It's crazy. So funny. Um, and then Don, I, I didn't ask, this isn't necessarily what, where did you, were you in living? Were you in Philly? Is that where you were always, or were you in the suburbs too? And then, well, I was like Chestnut Hill. Okay. Like Germantown, yeah. Chestnut Hill, uh, zone, uh, uh from like 12 on before that was Jenkintown. I lived in Jenkintown for a while. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But not but, years later. Uh but I was out at like 17 or something there and we because we had gotten that house and uh just had a uh maybe 10 or 14 people living there but then uh right behind the free library. Uh but then just had people like constantly through there. So and that's uh, the 314 house, right? 314 yeah 314 yeah i've heard i've heard i've heard all the story not all no, not, not to be confused that. with rodman street and uh you know we ain't paying but we're staying in business uh uh sean was really good at making up uh not making up i mean writing up uh writing short theses on uh why it's important to say 314 instead of 314 you know shit like that um which is really brilliant about him. Really, really in depth. Well, I always said he was ahead of his time too, I think, with a lot of the internet stuff. Oh my god, he's the first person to kill somebody online. Yeah, and the in the, in the, in the nascent stages of of online, like he was way ahead of things, just like the pranking and uh, you know, I've heard so many stories that'll just crack you up, you know, thinking about stuff that he did and pranks he pulled it was like the stuff very pa very patient ones that might take like 10 to 18 months to complete <laughs> like really incredible stuff well i remember when the when that show in gainesville was happening when i was living at the hardback show he and uh t-rope were like really big on irc <laughs> and we would yeah. chat on irc all the time and like i connected with them somehow just you know whatever and like whatever some dumb straight edge hardcore room or something and like uh and i remember him being like make sure they have you know he's like talk to the promoter and make sure they have you know bands that are like not hardcore bands play the show you know he was just like trying to get me yeah to like, exactly you know like like even just plant seeds you know and it's like mm. and i was just you know a, a dumb 18 year old kid being like okay yeah yeah i'll go you know tell the promoter like was that the show yeah. where the whole crowd decided because we were playing that they were going to make it like a, a wild west theme I you mean, how they would I don't do remember that, that, but honestly, they, I mean, like the, Tampa was notorious for that stuff. Like, like, I mean, oh, Gainesville, Gainesville, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Like, 
yeah like they i mean gainesville same thing like but i mean that's the thing is like that those scenes were like you're saying like that whole kind of like rebellion against the kind of earth crisis sort of like macho thing like i mean that's the thing i appreciate about growing up down there was that at least in that aspect of the scene like that stuff was not the cool stuff you know the cool stuff was you know the bands that were sort of pushing back against that and saying like hey like we want to be a little more creative we want to be a little less macho like yeah i mean you know we didn't even consider them they were barely real people it was like but speaking of earth crisis mike from <laughs> Fro and i uh actually went to the uh <laughs> firestorm seven inch release at the lost horizon in syracuse it was fucking sick that was their pinnacle Oh, and, then, and then Brian ended up drumming in that band Canon that was like Earth Crisis Junior. I, I I never got to hear them, but uh, Brian's hilarious. <laughs> Great drummer. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. Uh, I guess before we uh, well, we want have you know you want to talk about yeah, the layout I, is a little bit different. The layout's the different on the on one. the two versions, and um, just wondering, Vic, if you could tell us about the the differences and why why that happened and how uh well first of all you said that sean did the layout correct yeah was that andrew risick mentioned that too to have in the yeah a bit about andrew risick um did he was that done on a computer at kinko's or like all done on the fucking photocopier machine the uh, color copiers it was, on, it was done on a computer and i think we were and you paid by the minute back uh-huh. Then. Uh-huh. And I think we were there for six hours and my real own, I, my real only memory of it is being bored and going to World Wars afterwards. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like that, you know, it's it's not the it, it's 25 years. Sure, yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah, what are you gonna remember? Don, you mentioned the 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 photo on the cover was a digital, yeah. a digital yeah, still of like a, a floppy. Um, what was the photo of, like, of, I actually took it. I remember only cause, uh, I was like, it would just look sick if I just took it like really macro of the TV and that's what I got. Yeah. But what was the, what was the face of, oh, I don't really know. don't even know. I, in my head, it was, uh, something from the decline of Western civilization this whole time. I've thought like, it's, it's like a, it's like I mean, a punk, a photo the, of a punk. Whatever it invokes, it always uh reminds me of like a smith's record it reminds me of uh you know it's like what invokes all those things yeah could be like a, a sue cat woman or something like that like it, and and then like the crust punk, punk text sean did you know yeah that's very like patch like patchy yeah um, and then there's some Definitely text cool. on the back of the rev version that's not on the back it's like a manifesto yeah. lots of words um that weren't there and and i noticed soda pop smash on the back of the rev version which is i i believe an homage to the almighty lay shock another it's like the west coast look yeah uh, yeah that's great would, uh uh first couple of times we came to Inga dagger went to california like la we it really meant just going to long beach mm-hmm. and uh hang out with those dudes mm-hmm. uh hot rod todd and andrew and yeah, Todd and Andrew. I mean, I've known those kids since I was 16 years old. And yeah. I loved watching 
uh, especially I, I can't wait to get Andrew on this show again so I could talk to him about his journey from Christian hardcore band to Les Shock. <laughs> it's it's been a great journey and not like not even in a like a, a poserish way, just like he he just fucking uh -huh. grew we up and, and it's somewhere. so sick. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I uh I uh, and I Veek, we were both at the Indecision Fest this weekend, and you and I just like kind of waved to each other. I believe we didn't even get to say hello. But uh, I, one of the people that I did get to stop and talk to was Andrew, and um, I'll do that any chance that I get. He's such a great guy. To to vouch for his greatness, I did merch Friday night for six hours and Sunday night for seven hours. And Andrew Reisberg is the only human being who came and asked whether I had got dinner and could he go get me some tacos. Wow. That was very That's sweet. Great. He is a wonderful human being. He is, yeah. Uh, that fest looked uh, looked pretty rad. It was fucking amazing. And the, wow. unbroken... the best weekends of my life. Yeah. The unbroken so set looked ridiculous. I I'll see you in Philly for unbroken. <laughs> Are you coming up for that? I am going to come up for that, man. Where are they playing in Philly? The church. The church. Two nights. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, the first night sold out, and they had to book another one. And that Ooh. sold out, too. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I guess, I don't know, Hav, I think for a two-song record, we talked about it, well, three-song <laughs> record. We That's the only time you guys ever get me on here is when there's like a... <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> I did the Civ one for the, the Civ 7 inch that no one really likes. Then, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. That wasn't the set your goals episode. That was the uh, mm -hmm. that was the just the social climber. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that <laughs> seven inch. Um, I love it. But yeah, no. Again, this was super cool. As someone from the Philly area, who Ink and Dagger were like our big band. Um, I mean, it was thank you. Uh, it was awesome. And then to have any excuse, so the fact that there was the Rev Star on the seven inch. Shout out to Sean for reminding me that this existed and that it was on Rev, uh, so that we could have this conversation. Because, like I said, it's uh, it's been quite the honor to be able to talk about it and have Veek on. I mean, I've known of of you, Veek, for probably twenty five years. We have I a feel lot like of mutual I've, friends. I, I honestly feel like Veek needs her own episode on this podcast i agree just, just to talk about everything so well that's what i was I, I mean i know when i texted greg about this i was like well you you invited me to this right because knowing that it was originally on simba and 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 was greg like, was no, like, she's never you? been on she's never been on the podcast <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh i'm texting her right now and i like i think you responded like within you know 30 seconds we're like yes i'll do it you know so um well, i think you guys are entering yeah, like, to I, the point. we could probably do like five hours without yeah. repeating anything you know, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's certain rev bands that, like, I, I don't know where, where are you at on the rev catalog. Seventy-two. So, yeah, we 72. just okay. Well, speak. you'll need me. Yeah. You'll need me for Kill Holiday seventy-seven. Okay. Because uh -huh. that didn't that wouldn't happen without me. Okay, noted. Um, you'll need me for Christensen, the later Elliot. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the later like Shy Halud. The Louisville connection. <laughs> Shy Halud, thirty-two frames, curl up and die. Spins all of by them, man. All all oh, of the, that's good because they're the ones since my man drowning man they're all my boys i mean yeah. they just start, you know i've had the most fun i think on the ones where i didn't know i mean i know I mean, i've had fun on all of them right like even talking about start today which 
has been talked about a bajillion times. We we still managed to get, you know, Walter played us the harmonica solo on there. I mean, that, that was pretty awesome. Right. Something yeah. that he, I don't think has done on a podcast before, but talking about the ones that uh, I don't know much about were uh, very entertaining. And some stuff I became a huge fan of as Hav and Jason know, like Ice Burn and Engine Kid. Like yeah. I wouldn't have liked, probably liked that stuff when I was 15, but now I'm like, yeah. I play that shit all the time. Cause again, really? that's also thinking outside. Yeah. The ice. Huh. I'm so, When you were talking ice about burn, doing huh? stuff to like fuck with people, I was like, have you heard the ice burn stuff? There's like <laughs> 10, 20 minute, like One way to put it. Yeah, yeah. metal jazz fusion. Absolutely. Whatever. It's crazy. I mean, that's um, the same reason I liked into another, you know, it was like, this yeah. is, this is so different than, you know, what I'm hearing yeah. or what, you know, I couldn't handle into it. I, a lot of people are often surprised. I've I've never liked any metal, more or less. Like uh, I haven't either, but I loved into another. Yeah. But I became it's that old thing of like when it's you're like glam or something. With, when you're friends with the band first, and then yeah, 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 yeah. Them, it it you know you it's it's not the same as if you aren't you you never get yeah. that objectivity. And they when you love somebody and then they're singing, it's 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 totally different. Yeah. You know? But yeah, to the backing up, you you're you're getting into the era where you will be remiss if you don't have Vic involved. So sure, yeah. no, I'm I'm glad I'm, that's a nice uh, card to keep in the back pocket for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a lot of those bands' main contact at Rev, and some of them I brought to the label, some of them I inherited on the label, and a lot of those bands I'm still really good friends with. Um, and it's always nice to recollect to reconnect like this, like it is with Don. Don and I cross oh, paths in the wonderful. street in New York and at movies in LA, and we're always really happy to see each other. So it's really great to see you today. Yeah, we always we try to do like I always try to see about getting people that you know, making sure obviously that people are cool with one another because you never know. And in this scene, <laughs> there's always some drama. You know, always, like, please. but always. um, when 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 oh yeah, and sometimes it's a nice surprise uh for people i did try to actually get red cheeks to hop on i thought oh. that would be a fun surprise yeah but it uh been. he was like i just got home from work because i wasn't <laughs> sure how many how many people would be on so it's like sometimes too many cooks in the kitchen yeah. can get a little chaotic well the um, matrix for this record is r.i.p red cheek yeah <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and i'm sure he could he could do his own episode too just on you know ink and dagger so i'm sure so but um but yeah. yeah it's it's so that's good to know because some of these those bands i have no like i've been i've reached out to jordan about contacting you know like, hey but we've been pretty lucky to be able to sort of just contact through like social media uh, you know uh, for some uh, of the stuff because by now people know most people that are on rev i think kind of know like a number is going to come up soon yeah. So we have stuff squared away. Like I already did the game face interview and uh, we're doing the Christensen's one I hadn't thought about in a long time. But so the other thing that ended up happening that sort of is related to Inca Dagger is I ended up working for initial records like later on, later era, um, like after you guys weren't on the label any longer. Um, And in fact, the first time I ever heard Swizz, Ryan Patterson, I was in his band in Louisville and he was like, I know you're a huge Inca Dagger fan. Have you heard Swizz? And I was like, oh, the reverse. No. Yeah. And he was like, 
he, and he was just like, you're an idiot. Here you go. And he played it for me. I was like, oh, shit. You know, this is great. But that was why yeah, I, I mean, listened so, to Swizz. People were like, Ink and Dagger yeah. kind of have like, a, I was like, oh. Well, yeah. But I mean, like Christensen, like I, you know, it's like, I'm, I remember them being an initial band before they were a rev band and stuff. So. Oh, like I, didn't funny, that, I didn't know that. I didn't know they were on there. On yeah. initial. And Terry, I think, worked at initial. If I remember correctly, he was like. Yeah. Yeah. Terry Campbell was totally good. So I got to remember 32 frames, Christensen, Drowning Man. Elia, Curl Up and Die, Sins by Man, all of all of them are walkie bands. All of yeah, Elliot's another down. initial connection. Later yeah. Shai Halud, like Matt Fox was, you know, I was his person at Rev for many years, you know. So all of I think Rev I did, I did the production on all of those records from 2004 to to, to 2020 to 2019 when I left. I'm the person that did production on all of those records hmm. as well as royalties on all of those records for a decade. So, you know, I got a lot of, a lot of in-depth knowledge on, on a lot of those records. Plus I think it goes without saying podcasts, especially hardcore podcasts are a little bit of sausage fests. Hey, Always hey good. Uh, we, you will get no argument from us. Representing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We would Just love saying. it. We wanted to get, we said, speaking of Rev, I don't know if maybe you have contact. I wanted to do from when we started the podcast with, um, what was her name that did the all ages book? Beth Lahickey. Beth Lahickey. Beth Lahickey. Yeah, Jordan. And uh, I, I, I feel Someone, like we whoever out we talked to, yeah, whoever we talked to was super, uh, maybe it was Greg Anderson even who was like, eh, no, I don't know if she's going to talk. Jordan. It might have been Jordan. Someone was like very cagey Jordan. about it. Jordan could give you her email address. They're still really good friends. And I was going to say, and that was like, I think. I don't have a contact for Beth, though. I would have if I'd still, if I was still at Rev. I might have her email address somewhere. I can look if you want me to. Please. Yeah, because I, I, we would definitely like to have it be less of a sausage. Yeah. And it would be really good for you to work through the books on Rev. Brian Peterson would be a great person for you to have on the podcast. I thought about that one as well. And we did have Norman. I edited edited that book. The Burning Fight. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you can come on it too. I'll be here. Yeah. So, Don, anything? What What's going on musically for you uh, now in 2023? Well, the last bunch of years, I've been putting out records under this uh, band with this uh, couple of people called Collapsing Scenery. Uh, I do a lot of solo shows. I've been doing a lot of film work, a lot of gold mining in the desert. Uh, bought a theater, started a nonprofit in rural Nevada. Two hours south of Reno, where I uh, have a 35 millimeter print only nonprofit uh, movie theater. Uh, and uh, I'm sitting in my studio in downtown LA. Uh, it's uh, just going really hard, uh, pushing creativeness, trying to keep it novel. And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I'm very similar to the times we talk about in my sort of aspirational output. Uh, the scenes have changed, you know, people stop, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I've put out like 30 records or something. You probably don't know, uh, like 25 of them, uh, in all kinds of weird worlds and scenes and, uh, worked with lots of cool people. Uh, and, uh, very appreciative that you guys, uh, had me on the show to talk about that. It was a cool record. I like that one, especially uh, Vic's version. Uh, but I like how that one's like pimped out for the West Coast and the fake and It's cool. It's punk. No, for sure. And um, do you have a favorite Rev release? Uh, 
Um, well, over the years, I've become really good friends with Walter. So, uh, you know, started today with Walter singing slash the Moondog song because I didn't get finished with a shitty demo. Like, would have been the greatest ever. But, uh, uh, I was, uh, uh, I'm not going to include start today because that's just like an obvious. I was going to say something maybe a little off the uh, but path. At that, still, it'd just be probably a disengaged sound. That is a great one. You know, uh, and I mean, uh, inside all seven inch, I mean, if imagine if you never fucking heard that, you know, especially that extra song on the CD, that uh, the fast one. The yeah, Sacrifice like, and. Uh... There's more, yeah. There's no, that's seven and fifty facet rules. Uh, something like that, you know. Uh, I don't know a lot of the newer bands and a lot of the sort of youth crew ones. Again, if Walter wasn't in it, I thought they were like the films, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably still fair, there. fair. Yeah. Um, and then Veek, Veek, I feel like you're too, you're too close, I think, to the process to ask if you have a favorite. Rev release. Plus, we're going to hopefully have reasons to talk Rev to you. Rev 77, Kill Holiday LP. I love that answer. That's such an underrated record. I mean, it's just How about like, the statue, John? That one's good. Yeah, that is. That was cut. I felt like that had some of the same vibe, like the Ink and Dagger. You know, I could hear it in the music kind of coming from the same place. A little bit. Uh, and then I got I got to say, Elliot, Force Cathedrals. I mean, that's just a fucking masterpiece of a record. We haven't gotten mm -hmm. to that one quite yet. Is that one that you worked closely with to, to hop yeah, on? Yeah, and I, I helped with all the reunion stuff last year. I handled all their social media and, and did all, you know, a bunch of stuff. That was another one I hadn't heard until we did the podcast, which I know is absurd, but it's true. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. Like, Jason and Javier were like, wait, you... You don't you don't listen to Elliot? I was like, no, I had never heard him. Like for whatever reason. Seen them at seen them at Crazy Fest in but in terms of was oh yeah. Just fucking unreal. Around that era, Pulse Cathedral's era. The, the reunions were fucking amazing. They really were. They really, really were. But in terms of youth crew stuff, crippled youth seven inch all the way. <laughs> really? Okay. And then Don, you have to, seven inch ever made. Give give those give those iceburn records a try now as a as a I don't know man I, I, <laughs> I, for you I will but I, I tried them before uh, there's some rip well see you say you don't like metal because there's some rip like the artwork was cool I I'd love say go with engine the engine down album is probably safer bet yeah which one the yeah. engine kid the engine Sorry, the Engine Kid LP. I don't know why. Yeah. Engine Down Sick too, Richmond, yeah. Virginia. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, they're from your yeah, area, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're totally my my era and my boys too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kid. yeah, the Engine Kid and song they cover... on the album. It's a great fucking song, and you know, do it for Ron. The uh, Engine Kid. Yeah. Plus, they cover. Uh, they could do a Miles Davis cover, right? The last song on there is a Miles Davis. The whole, the whole album is is fantastic, and it oh, it, absolutely. That Jordan should repress at some point. Southern it just Lord got reissued, didn't? It. Yeah, Greg just did it. <laughs> yeah, oh, really. It has the rev. It has the rev logo on it, and they have an extra song on it from the sessions that's sick. Like that wasn't on the album. It's good. It's good. I'm a Hav knows. I'm a Greg Anderson super fan. Like I love. Sun and Goat Snake and Brotherhood and 
engine kid, all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. how about, how about not like the other? What was his first thing? Galleon's lap or love? Yeah, he did Galleon's yeah. lap after Brotherhood, and that had to right, right, do right. From Sunny Day Real Estate, right? Yeah, right, 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 right. I right. used Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much. My brain feels like mashed potato trying to dredge up all of this information. From you're welcome. Yes. Um, but yeah, and, and, and again, Vic, again names here and there. It was a pleasure to meet. We have, like I said, a lot of mutual friends. I know I'm very good friends. I go way back with Vadim. Oh, I know you. you uh, very know, fun. Yeah, like I grew up with.